It's Friday, June 29th, and this is The Daily Dive. Another mass shooting has occurred in the country. This time it was aimed at the Capital Gazette newspaper in Maryland. Five people were killed and others were injured. The suspects stormed the offices of the newspaper with a shotgun and canisters of smoke grenades. Brianna Sachs, reporter for BuzzFeed, joins us for everything we know as of this recording, including reports that say the shooter was making threats to the paper over social media. The ever-present tech disruptor, Amazon, is at it again. First, they buy online pharmacy company PillPack, and beyond that, they are also getting ready to build a grassroots delivery network that could sidestep UPS and the Postal Service. They are looking for people to build their own small businesses with up to 40 delivery vehicles to help them speed up delivery times. Mike Snyder, tech reporter for USA Today, joins us for the latest. Finally, comedies are becoming a grim business for Hollywood. Traditional comedies are struggling at the box office, and you can thank superhero movies, Netflix, and YouTube. Ben Fritz, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about how much is being spent on these new comedies and why people don't like laughing in theaters anymore. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I heard a loud noise, like an incredibly loud bang, and I poked my head around the corner of my desk so I could see out our front door into the front door of the Capitol Gazette, and I saw a guy. I saw a guy holding a gun. The door of the Capitol Gazette had been blown to pieces. It was in shattered pieces all on the carpet, and this guy was holding what looked like a big shotgun and moving across the entrance of the Capitol Gazette office, pointing the gun deeper into the office like he was uh, targeting people. Joining us now is Brianna Sachs, BuzzFeed News reporter. There was a, a shooting in Maryland at the Capitol Gazette newsroom in Annapolis, Maryland. Five people have been killed and others have been injured. I think uh, police, latest numbers, police had said that three people were pretty injured it's, still. Yeah, two to three. Yeah. Um, so uh, tell us uh, what else we know about what happened uh, in the shooting. They're calling it a targeted attack. And the suspect, they are saying, is a white male in his late 30s from Maryland, walked into the building with a shotgun looking for victims. And he had been threatening the Capitol Gazette multiple times before over social media, even as recently as today, the police chief said. There were other officials that said that authorities found him hiding under a desk with his gun nearby and that he was not being cooperative. And shooting occurred around 315 p.m. He also was carrying some smoke grenade canisters, which he deployed inside the building as well. And we're giving you the latest news that we know as of this recording. In these situations, things are always fluid and changing very quickly. Yeah. Um, so they said that he had a shotgun. And as you mentioned, he had some smoke grenades that he deployed there at the at the Gazette when he was making the attack. What were uh, some of witness reports saying from the scene? So these were reporters who were there. So they were tweeting and, you know, some very vivid and frightening details just about like how they were hiding under their desks and he shot through the glass and some of their, the people they were working with were dead around them. The crime reporter, Phil Davis, was tweeting from what he saw and that a single shooter like shot his office and shot through the glass door and opened fire and described it as like a war zone. So just very heartbreaking details. He continued to say that, you know, he's a police reporter. He writes about crime all this, all the time. And you right. don't really know how traumatizing this stuff is until you're hiding under your desk and you feel helpless with all yeah. of this. Describe to us what this building is. I know they house the Capitol Gazette and as a couple of other publications as well. It's owned by the, the Baltimore Sun and they have several 
outlets in there and it's Office of the Capitol Gazette Communications, and they publish multiple titles, including the Capitol and the Maryland Gazette, and they're very well-renowned re- and respected for their local news coverage. And even, you know, the police saying, the police at this press conference was like, I talk to these people every day. Like, these are, you know, they're very good, dedicated journalists, and the community prides themselves on on their, their journalism. And uh, so it's, you know, it's very... From what it it sounded like, you know, it hit the the community really, really hard. Police had said, we know a lot of these people and we work with them daily to release news stories. So I'm sure they're they're very invested in all of this. There was one more. Sorry, one more thing. The the Baltimore Sun noted, um, you know, this is pretty amazing. Just like one of the papers in the building is the oldest in the country. And the other one has been serving Maryland's capital for 134 years. Right. Yeah, exactly. They're ingrained in that community. There was a lot of uh, news reports and, and police have not confirmed it yet. They they were trying to walk some of it back, but there was a lot outlets that were reporting that he had mutilated his fingertips so he can avoid being identified as uh, quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was really crazy. And that they like identified him with facial recognition. So the police chief pushed back on that at the press conference saying like, well, this is the first time I've heard of facial recognition and he will be fingerprinted. They're reiterating that everything, you know, that you hear or read, if it's not coming from them, is not official. But uh, so they, yeah, they wouldn't touch on, on that. And what we do know though, is that he was being uncooperative is, you know, what official did confirm. Finally, uh, some other media reports are saying, I think NBC News is reporting, they are giving out a, a name. They so dropped far. the name, yeah. yeah. And we're digging into that as we speak as well, gathering as much information. So NBC dropped the name of Jared Ramos. He had sued the Gazette before and apparently had some had beef with them and over an article he didn't like. And the lawsuit was thrown out and we're mining his social media accounts. He tweeted 2.37 p.m. ET, which was shortly before the shooting, this account that looks to be him, it's not verified yet, said, fuck you, leave me alone. And he tweeted at the judge who threw out the lawsuit against the Capitol Gazette literally like three, four minutes before the attack. The police said that there were general attacks towards the Gazette in, on social right. media and everything. So, so things, it does line up. Yes, exactly. So this is the latest that we know as of this recording, things are constantly changing. It's uh, just a sad day again to see. We don't know what his larger motivations were still. It seems that he had a personal beef with the newspaper, but... Yeah, they're getting a warrant to his house right now. And so they'll, you know, comb through his residence along with all his devices, I'm sure. It's kind of just another sad, sadly, another similar, you know, angry guy with a gun who looks like he made threats on on social media and he followed through with them. Brianna Sachs, BuzzFeed News reporter. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Having the opportunity to work with a company like Amazon is really something. To me, it solidified my stance as an entrepreneur when I landed this customer. It's just really, really cool to think that your company's touching thousands of lives on a daily basis. It's fun to be associated with what is, I think, the most exciting company in the world at this point. Joining us now is Mike Snyder, tech reporter for USA Today. Amazon. One of the biggest tech disruptors that we've seen in recent times, they are much more than an e-commerce site and this online retailer. They've branched off. They have digital assistants, all sorts of tech. 
And beyond that now, even more so, they're becoming a delivery company. It's such an interesting thing that they just launched their new delivery service uh, partners program and expansion to it. And it actually has the potential to create a ton of jobs and make a lot of entrepreneurs in the process also. What is this all about? Well, it's pretty interesting. I guess they'd been testing this for a while. They had an event in Seattle, and they had at least one of the drivers who had been doing this for a while uh, talking about how you know he had been a had been a, a driver for them in, the, in their flex service doing some deliveries and they give him a chance to expand start his own business actually and yeah. now he has 40 employees that he's had in the last five months so what these folks do is they go to Amazon I don't know how much money they put in or you know initially but they they could get a credit if you are a military veteran, for instance, to help you get started up and you can buy or lease vehicles from Amazon, get discounted uniforms and things like that, and you can start running your own delivery business, moving products from the fulfillment centers to homes and and basically build a business. As you said, the military veterans, they can apply for like a $10,000 reimbursement to their startup costs. You'd get training from Amazon. You can use their logistics technology. It really kind of gives you that leg up to, to like you said, really start your own business. And it's proving beyond that, that faster delivery is this next big thing. Everybody's ordering stuff constantly and everybody wants their stuff immediately. So it, it's, it's going to be a booming business. Right now, Amazon does a lot of this work with other companies like UPS or even the Postal Service, FedEx, and other local delivery services. But if they had control of this, they can actually track packages better, they can do things faster, and they have more control. And, you know, that's what Amazon wants. Not only are they expanding all the various levels of the logistics, they have planes that they've contracted out for, they're getting patents for drones to help do some of this last mile stuff. But they also are feeling pressure from the president. In the last few months, he has criticized the Postal Service for basically giving Amazon too good of a deal. But Amazon basically is saying, you know, if we start doing something like this, there's a lot of people looking out there to want to be their own boss, and they might help us actually expand our network to the homes that we need. Obviously, we don't want anything bad to happen to the post office, but it gives them the opportunity to leave them in the dust and operate much more independently. I think for UPS, they get up to 6% of their revenue from Amazon deliveries, FedEx 3%. We don't necessarily know what the post office makes off of them. But even on, on the side of pitfalls, if packages don't get delivered or if they're damaged and everything, they'll take more of the responsibility, at least that way, before they can say, well, the post office or UPS ruined your package. Now, now the more of the responsibility will be on their side. Certainly. I mean, all these trucks would have built-in tracking software and things like that in them. So they'd be able to follow where the package is going because they basically take care more of the from the fulfillment center to the home themselves. So it's easier for them to say, this is what happened to the package and we know where it is. And if it got lost on the way or anything, they'd know what happened. I really like this idea of small business, you know, entrepreneurs having a chance to maybe start a second career or a third career or whatever listening to this guy who's been working with them for a while, he says he had no training in this. And basically, they help him learn as he goes. And this is something where you could actually have lots of employees and dozens of, tr- of vans running 
you could start from basically being yourself to your own little delivery empire. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a great opportunity. And in other news, also, Amazon just bought this big online pharmacy company called PillPack. Um, so they're going to expand their capabilities to be able to get you your prescription drugs and things like that. And with a faster delivery service that's more localized, there's potential for you to get your stuff a lot quicker, same day, you know, if you need your medicine on an emergency basis and things like that. It really benefits the company a lot and you pass it along to the consumers. You had mentioned that this person at the at the presentation was a uh, Amazon Flex driver. And I've seen those guys, you know, they pull up in little random, you know, Toyota Corolla or something mm-hmm. and pop out and say, hey, I got your package. What else do they have going right now currently? They do so much stuff, I don't even know that you can keep track of it all. Depending on where you live, you can also now get food delivery from Whole Foods in addition to Amazon's own prime pantry deliveries. So, you know, you almost need a flow chart right now to keep track of all the things that Amazon's doing. But between food, goods, the potential for prescriptions and other kinds of, you know, medical uh, things, I mean, there's no reason why Amazon wouldn't be able to make use of the of its growing you know small business aspect of their their delivery system the delivery system i don't see why how this could be bad for them mike snyder tech reporter for usa today thank you very much for joining us oscar thanks for having me back we've all experienced seeing a really funny trailer for a movie and then going to see it and being like oh all the funny stuff was in the trailer and it's not actually a very good movie right and then you're out 15 bucks for your ticket let alone somebody else's ticket parking popcorn babysitting etc joining us now is ben fritz reporter for the wall street journal covering the film industry and author of the big picture the fight for the future of movies let's talk about comedies and hollywood uh, a lot of, a lot less moviegoers are turning out for these big funny movies and we can blame the rise of superhero movies again, uh, you know, the de- to the demise of a lot yeah. of other things and yeah. uh, other things like uh, Netflix as well. What's the big problem with comedies right now? Well, people are not going to the theaters to see comedies the way they used to. And it's kind of an alarming trend. I mean, people in Hollywood were not so surprised a few years ago when dramas started dying. Look, dramas are not something you really need to see in a big screen. And as soon as we started seeing so many high quality dramas like Breaking Bad and House of Cars and so on on cable and streaming platforms. People were getting their fix at home. They didn't need to go to theaters anymore. But a lot of people in Hollywood thought uh, several genres would be immune to that. One of them was comedy because the theory was, well, it's a lot more fun to go out with your friends and be in a large auditorium of people laughing together when you see when you see a great comedy. It's more fun than sitting alone on your couch or with one you know one other person. And that seemed to be true at first. Comedies held strong, you know, in the early to mid 2000s, 2010s rather, when drama was dying. But more recently, we're seeing a real downturn. The highest grossing comedy this year grossed only 69 million dollars, which is a game night, which is okay, but not that good. You used to see several comedies every year grossing more than 100 million. Last year there was only one. And now halfway through 2018, there have been zero. Wow. Movie going is more of an event now with a rise in costs. It gets really expensive. That's why we're seeing a lot of these movie chains, as we talked about in the past, offering these subscription services now so that you can get there on a more frequent basis. 
it's just as easy and a lot more satisfying to see something a lot quicker, like a stand-up comedy on Netflix, yep. than to go out for you know something you're not really sure if you're gonna like. A, a lot of these hits, even they're very funny, but it's uh, something that you might not want to invest so much in. You're kind of like, ah, it was funny, but sorry, it's very execution dependent, and what you find funny, I might not find right. We've all experienced seeing a really funny trailer for a movie and then going to see it and being like, oh, all the funny stuff was in the trailer and it's not actually a very good movie, right? And then you're out. 50 bucks for your ticket, let alone somebody else's ticket, parking, popcorn, babysitting, etc. So you try something new on Netflix, and if it's not funny, fine. You've, all you wasted is a little bit of time. And beyond that, other movies, bigger movies, uh, they're kind of blending all the genres, you know, like these big action films. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a lot of funny elements to it. Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor Ragnarok, all these kind of superhero films are all doing it. Absolutely. What you're seeing now is the, these big superhero movies, they, they, they just vacuum up so much of the box office. They're such big events that they're, they're not just pure action adventure dramas anymore. They're integrating a lot of other element, a lot of other genres. So you're seeing science fiction. More recently, you're seeing a lot of comedy. So Deadpool 2 was a very funny movie. Thor Ragnarok was funny. The Guardians of the Galaxy movies have been funny. Have been funny. Uh, even the most recent Avengers had plenty of comedy in it. So it's not like people can't get any comedy at the movie theater anymore. It's just a movie that's that's first and foremost a comedy. Those are really, really struggling. It's it's movies that are first and foremost something else and have some comedy in them that are doing okay. And maybe you saw Deadpool 2 and you laughed and you, you didn't come out of it being like, I really need to see a comedy. I haven't, I haven't laughed at a <laughs> right. theater in, in a while. And so as a result, you see all these comedies so far this year that are grossing 40, 50, 60 million dollars, which is not terrible, but not that good. What are the uh, comedies that are working right now? A lot of them are uh, made towards children, animated comedies. The one, I say, subgenre of comedy that still seems to be working okay is um, family comedy, stuff for kids, because people still like to get their kids out of the house. You got to go do something with them. Depending on your definition of comedy, Peter Rabbit has been successful this year. That grossed more than $100 million. So it's a kid's comedy with you know a combination of real adults and a computer animated rabbit and other animals. The Incredibles had comedy elements to it. The Incredibles 2 has been very successful. And last year, you saw movies like Boss Baby, for example, animated comedies for, you know, for kids that they do quite well. It's really the live action comedy. The kind, you know, imagine the movies you used to go see Adam Sandler, Jim Carrey, Julia Roberts do in movie theaters. Those are the ones that are not succeeding very much anymore. You mentioned that a lot of these comedies right now are grossing 40, 50 million. How much is being spent on movies, on comedies now? Back in the heyday when stars like Jim Carrey were making $20 million a movie, yep. um, what's how are studios reacting to this now? Given that the, it's so much harder to make a profit on these films, the studios are cutting back costs. So instead of paying the movie star $20 million, they're spending $20 million to make the whole film. Tag, which is this comedy that was just released uh, recently, which is doing so-so at the box office, and it's given how it opened, it's probably going to do something like $50 million. The entire budget for that was $28 million. That's more typical now. It's very hard to get a studio to, studio to spend more than 30 something million dollars on a comedy. And they, they want those movies to be really low budget now because it's so rare for one of them to really break out and gross more than 100. So they want it to be able to make some profit at just 50 or $60 million of ticket sales. And going back to the whole Netflix thing, you know, Adam Sandler, other comedians, they're uh, being paid to do uh, movie runs there on, on, on Netflix. So they'll do, I don't know what it was, Adam Sandler had like four or five movies that he was doing there. Yes, Adam Sandler is on his second three-movie deal for Netflix, I believe, maybe even four movies. He was His last movie, he co-starred with Chris Rock. Will Ferrell just signed a deal to make a comedy movie for Netflix. So yeah, you're seeing these 
traditional comedy stars going to Netflix. And in part, that's a reflection of the fact that it's harder for them to get their movies made at Warner Brothers or Universal or Fox or so on. And then the other side of the coin is the more they do that, the more incentive people have to not go to the theater. You can see a comedy movie right in your living room or on your iPad. Ben Fritz, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Thank you for having me. All right, that's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>